O Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make your work known. If a thing dies, it doesn't live again. That's the fixed law of the material universe. Life and then death and then a hard stop after that. True of our pets, true of the people that we love, true of churches. If a thing dies, it, it's gone. At least as far as the material world can prove or give us an expectation. But in the spiritual world, in the original world, the, the one that lasts forever, that has, there's a different law. This law is just as certain, and it is that everything lives again. Everything. Uh, in two weeks, we'll gather in this room, we'll celebrate Easter, and we will shout, He is not here. He is risen. He's alive. That death could not hold our Savior. That He was dead, really dead, and then He rose to life again. Maybe on that day, and hopefully you will remember the words of Jesus, that He said a long time before the resurrection. It's printed in your listening sheet. Do not marvel at this. Don't be puzzled. An hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice, the voice of the resurrected Son of God, and they will come forth. Those who did good deeds to a resurrection of life, those who committed evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. Good men, evil men, all of us are going to live again. This life is not all there is. Uh, that's the doctrine of the general resurrection, and there's tremendous hope found in it. So this morning, I want to talk with you about revival, which is just another expression of this same truth. In God's great faithfulness to His people, when we drift away, and we do, when we turn to lukewarm love, when we begin to learn our love for God from our culture rather than from His Word, he comes in His grace to stir us back into life again. It is really Him. It is His hand working in our lives. He causes churches to be born again into life. We should expect it. He who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ, is Philippians 1.6. So your encounter with Jesus is not just a one-time thing. You can expect him to work with you the rest of your life. As you drift off and you do, he will come and challenge and correct and call you back into life and service. In this sense, revival is no rare or occasional event. Uh, it is the normal and necessary love of God, active love of God with his people. He comes to work in our hearts. And history provides us ample proof. Uh, listen, please, to the words of Jonathan Edwards, Northampton, Massachusetts, 1734. It pleased God to display his free and sovereign mercy in the conversion of a great multitude of souls in a short space of time. What he's describing is the sweeping conviction of God and people began to convert to Christianity, turning them from a formal, cold, and careless profession of Christianity so some of those folks getting saved were already members of the church. They were just cold and formal. To a lively exercise of every Christian grace and the powerful practice of holy religion. So he describes a moment when 
God in his own timing begins to work with his people and call them back to burst them into life and flame. Now, you could, if you'd like to, read of the Welch revival in 1904. You could talk about the Jesus movement in the 60s. You could talk about the promise keepers in the 90s. Clear movements of the Spirit of God with his people, calling them back to wholehearted love for Christ. Or you could read 1 Samuel 7, which I hope you have all week long. This is another moment in history where of revival where God begins to touch his people, call them back from double-hearted love. Part of my love was for Jehovah, part of my love was for other things, to single-hearted love, and the new life began again because of it. Um, you can use this as a prayer. You can call out to God, please, Lord, do that here. Let's stand together and read. It's on the back of your listening sheet today. From the day that the ark remained at Kiriath-Jerim, the time was long. It was twenty years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. Then Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel, saying, If you return to the Lord with all your heart and remove the foreign gods and the Ashtaroth from among you and direct your hearts to the Lord and serve him alone, he will deliver you from the hands of the Philistines. So the sons of Israel removed the Baals and the Ashtaroth, and they served the Lord alone. Then Samuel said, Gather all Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. They gathered at Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said there, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the sons of Israel at Mizpah. Be seated and please open a Bible. Find it in a pew rack or you carried one or use your phone and go to 1 Samuel chapter 7. We'll have a, long, a longer text. When revival comes to a church, there will first be godly sorrow. It will come sweeping across the individual hearts, a recognition of the spiritual failure that the previous years represent. It will be a feeling of regret and of responsibility. Watch me, it will be the opposite of denial. We will stop saying, I'm a good person, I go to church. Others have caused me to be the way I am. I'm doing the best I can. I'm only human. Those excuses will leave our lips as the burden of our failure before God becomes clear. Our failure not to live a whole heart, not to believe Him, not to trust Him, not to be bold. The, it will parade into our hearts that loss. Verse 2 of today's text says, They lamented. Same word for lamentations, they mourned. Um, in a service just like this, people began to weep. It, the, the burden was hard to realize what we have done with uh, life. Sorrow is not the road that we will follow, but it is the door to get to it. There will be joy later, deep and lasting joy, but that's not what it feels like at the beginning. You can't get to the Lord until you realize that you are not well. 
until you can own that I have lived so far down below the promises of God for Christian people. I have lived without power. I have lived without joy. I have lived without holiness. Until you can see yourself as less than he promised that you would be in Jesus, then you cannot get to this place. Um, something will stir in you. It will not be any preacher who will make you feel guilty. It will be the Holy Spirit of God convicting you that this is not what it's supposed to look like. We are not what it's supposed to look like. Uh, let it come, my brother. Uh, that awareness by the Spirit, it, it, as He begins to convict you, it's the opposite of seeing... Uh, plank in somebody else's eye, I mean a splinter in somebody else's eye and avoiding the plank in your own. It's the opposite of that. You will stop worrying about what other people are doing. You will realize there's plenty to deal with in your own life and you begin to concentrate there. Don't treat that feeling as an enemy. It isn't. It is the first part of his great help in your life. He is trying to get you forward. When revival comes, then there will be powerful preaching. It is the plan of God, and you can take this up with him later, but it is the plan of God that he would speak to humans through humans. Um, His instruments for whom he, he has done a special work of selection and preparation in their life. Sometimes it's a male, sometimes it's a female. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy, they will speak God's Word, and that's how the people of God will hear it. And you can try this. You can say to him, well, I'm just as good as that guy, and you'll be right. But that doesn't mean that you will get the Word any other way. God will speak to somebody, and he will carry that Word to you in faith. In a private encounter with God, that man or woman will have been restored to truth. He will see what the culture has ignored. He he will be, his equilibrium, his calibration, will, he will be restored to the to right sight. And then in that, he will preach that to you. Now sometimes it will be a burning bush that will restore that man, as in Moses' case. Sometimes it will be the high and lifted of experience of Isaiah. Sometimes, in the, as in the case of Samuel, it will just be a life of prayer, a life of godly prayer. He has walked with the Lord long enough that he's recovered the word of God. He will see what other people don't. He will tell what other people are not speaking. And here's the miracle. People of God will begin to hear it. They will begin to hear what he is saying. So Samuel preached his sermon up and down that land. And there's no telling how many times he preached this sermon for people to listen. Look in verse 3. Then Samuel spoke to the whole house of Israel saying, If you will return to the Lord with all your heart, you've been divided, you've You've had several things that you trusted. One of them was your economy. One of them was your own skill. One of them was your military. One of them was God. It was all mixed up in there. That needs to stop. You need to come back and be exclusively mine. Remove the foreign gods and the Ashtaroth from among you. Direct your hearts to the Lord. Serve him alone. He will deliver you. Gradually, praise God, people began to listen to that message. Now, here's the miracle. Not all at once, not probably many at once, but people began to hear that. Here's one, here's another. And much like the story of Gideon, 
that man says, I'm going to go home and take that idol down. It's a dangerous thing to do. The Philistines are controlling the nation. It's an act of civil disobedience to take an idol down. But somebody in this congregation says, I'm done now. I'm done. I'm going to go get that fixed. And he goes home and takes it. The first rumblings of revival is people who break back from the typical pack of the world back to God and exclusive obedience. You see them one at a time say, I'm done now. I'm going to go home. I'm going to get home. Individually, that faith strikes fire and it begins to burn. When revival comes, there'll be godly sorrow. There'll be powerful preaching. There will be public confession. So Samuel calls the whole nation, everybody, to come together at Mizpah, which is a mountain about seven miles from Jerusalem. And it's a great national convocation, and they begin to confess their sins together. You see, as Dean Nystrand said in our Sunday school class this morning, the covenant was originally given to the nation. You have to establish the covenant again, not with individuals, but with the whole nation. They have to come together and do it with each other. And it's an interesting picture. They pour out water. You can see this in verse 6. They pour out water before the Lord, um, saying with an outward sign of an inward reality, we are empty. Um, our, our ideas, our pride, our excuses, our denial, all that's drained away. We need you. The old water didn't satisfy us. We need you, God, and we are empty without you. That's what they're saying. On the way down here this morning, early as I worshiped, I listened to that old hymn, I Need Thee Every Hour. It was a, it was a perfect reminder of what is being restored to the people of God. I'm not going to live with half my foot in the world and half my foot in the camp of Jesus Christ. He never has wanted that kind of a person. He's always wanted a person who belongs exclusively to him. Your whole hope, your whole confidence, your whole life, your whole service is him. You don't have two sets of goals. You have one goal, and that is he would be approved of you. And so it is that restoration that, that happens in public. The context of this is in the nation. God begins revival with individuals, but simultaneously, simultaneously begins to call the community back to him. You see, I am not just me this morning. I am also a member of this body. I, I don't have just responsibility for the way I live. I'm also a, a part of this family, this body, calls, Paul calls it. I have two identities, both of them real. So do you. You have two identities. So none of this confession is done in private. It's public, it's accountable, it's courageous. You can't stand for God if you will not stand with your brothers. You can't. You Sooner or later, and, and I imagine that as you go forward to pour out water and confess, yes, we've all, as a nation, as a nation, we have sinned against this great God. Uh, I, I, I see my brother going up there with me. I've got to get it straight with him. If he and I have argued, if, if I've said terrible things about him, all of a sudden there's this double-tiered healing going on. I am being restored to God, but I'm also being restored to the people that I have wounded by my words or my attitude. Uh, no, re no revival comes when people are holding all things private. Uh, 
revival is a, an act of God in a church. And when revival comes, there'll be confidence in prayer. Uh, confession, for a lot of years I've used prayer as a therapy, uh, a way to deal with my anxiety and shame. And it's a, it's a good way to do that. But when revival comes, prayer takes on a secondary, another aspect, and that is it is a way the people of God get things done. Uh, you, your heart gets tender to God, and now he begins to hear your voice. Uh, Isaiah says, your sins have caused his ears to be, turn away from you. Your sins have made him not listen to you. So you cannot entertain failure in your own life, sinful failure, and expect God somehow to hear you in prayers just because you wanted him to. This is a God who's dangerous, everybody. This is a God who's very dangerous, and he can be offended, deeply offended. And he's a God of great mercy, but he's also a God who can be offended. And so, um, anyway, they Philistines hear that this revolt in the making is happening up on the mountain of Mizpah, and they are not amused by that. This is tantamount to a rebellion, and so they send an army. And when the first waft of fear gets to the camp, rather than panic, they all go straight back to Samuel, and they say, don't stop praying. Don't stop praying. God will help us. God will help us. And um, they are restored to this great confidence that this powerful partnership between God and man, uh, you, you haven't used all the power there. You haven't used a fourth of the power there. You haven't explored an, a, a tenth. It's like the sands of, on the beach. You don't, none of us know the power of that partnership with God that's in prayer. And so when revival comes, people begin to pray. You see it in their prayer meetings. You see it. You see churches gathering for prayer because they believe that God will hear them. They call out the names of lost people. They call out situations that they've tried in vain to fix and they cannot fix. But you see revival begin to boil some people say that prayer brings revival. I think prayer is the first signal that revival is beginning. I think it's the first sign that God's dealing in people's hearts and they're getting back on their knees. So anyway, the Israelis move off the mountain, Mizpah, down to the valley to encounter this um, Philistine force. And Have they fought with the Philistines before? Yeah, for 20 years. Have they fought them on the same ground? Yeah, for 20 years. But not like this they haven't. Because now all of a sudden, those people that used to whip you every day, daily, those circumstances of your life, those subjects that you just cannot get on top of, now they fall under your feet. They, you just win. You begin to win. Because the God himself is causing a new outcome. He sets people free. I especially like that the power of this, look at verse 9. The turning point in this whole narrative is Samuel takes a suckling lamb and offered it up as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried out the Lord for Israel and God answered him. Um, you have to put that in your in picturesque language. Samuel, up in front of everybody, takes an innocent little lamb and he slays him, the blood runs everywhere, 
He puts him up on an altar, burns him completely. He's completely consumed, just the way our Lord's whole life was completely consumed. And it's that moment where the, the basis by which an, a sinful man can rightly relate to an eternal holy God is reestablished that God answers. He thunders. He says, okay, now, deal. Deal. Once you get it straight that the way you come into his presence is by the death of Jesus Christ. And it's only by that death that you are welcome into the throne room at all talk. Then prayer takes on its right function. And when revival comes, there'll be careful celebration for every victory. When the battle is over, and this is uh, verse 12, when the battle is over, Samuel stacks up rocks. Many rocks are just a single rock, pushes it up into an upright position. And he calls it in Hebrew, Eben, Eben is stone, Ezer, help. The stone, Eben, Ezer, uh, Ebenezer. It is the stone that will remind us that it was God who did this. This is the stone that reminds us that we got nowhere until we turn to God, and then everything becomes possible once we have. When the revival comes, we will rejoice, I guarantee you. We will tell this story everywhere. We will tell of people who wandered away into lives of ungodliness and danger that God restored. We will tell of the way God burst a church back up into holiness and life. We will tell. We'll tell this city. But we will be careful then that even then we will know thus far hath he helped us. There's still a lot of battles to be fought. We're not going to get arrogant or presumptuous. We'll know that God helped us to a certain point and there's still a lot to go on ahead of us. Uh, we will find deep joy, but we'll keep the armor on because we're going to have to stay in this fight till Jesus comes. Next Sunday, we will dedicate a courtyard and the West Hall Project and the first uh, steps that we've taken toward the uh, 4th Street Crossing. And the courtyard may have a name on it, but we will not be fooled. Um, the glory in the story is never going to be about a person or a family, ever. The real story, and we will tell it with joy, is about a God who in His great mercy wanted a church to burst again into flame began to work in our hearts and call us to holiness. The real story will be about that God who said, I want you to live again and cause the church to do so. Holly and I are humbled to ever have our name associated with this church, especially in these years. But the real plaque for me will be on a pew right back there where Joel is sitting. Because that's the pew that for 22 years I've come into this darkened sanctuary and asked God to give life again. And so the real plaque for me will be right back there. Or it'll be at the Rushings Lake House right in front of a couch. That may be awkward, Marlon and Ron. To, but that plaque will say, this is where I prayed and God heard and many of us prayed as well. That's the story we're going to tell and be glad to do it. Sometimes people talk about the perseverance of the saints. Uh, 
The idea is that a true believer, ever prone to sin and to lose his first love, ever prone to move away from intense love back to lukewarm love, will ever and eventually be brought back around by the work of God. He is going to chase you down. He is going to come and stir your heart again, offer you free and full forgiveness and the filling of the Holy Spirit because His goal for you is so different than your goal for you. His goal for you is full life, radiant, beautiful, peaceful, joyful life. And He's not going to leave it alone until you get there. That's how God works. And when He does... We do it, it does it in a church. We call it revival. Restore us, O God, of our salvation. Cause your indignation toward us to cease. Will you be angry with us forever, even in spite of our sins? Will you prolong your anger to all generations, or is there a way for us to come back? Will you not yourself revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your loving kindness, O O Lord. Grant us that salvation. Let's pray together. So with great confidence, we just ask you to do what you have promised to do. And that you you would never leave us. Our sins turned your ears away. It grieved you to see the way our double hearts were relating to this world. But you never left us. You've come again to stir us. A few at first and then your will, multiple thousands. Come and deal with us this morning. Correct us. We have been wrong about you. We've been wrong in front of you. Uh, Challenge us. Call us. Uh, restore this church to full flame. We pray in your name.